From the studios, sunny studios of Teeing It Up in the Swamps of Jersey, this is Teeing It Up with Jeremy Schilling for Wednesday, June 12th, the eve of the United States Open Championship. There was no U.S. Open pool at your job, was there, Danny, this this year? Uh, not, yeah, with me switching jobs, I, I wasn't really paying oh, yeah, to that, right. but I, I never have done one, so I don't think that I know of any, but, <laughs> you know, if you do know of one, that's, that's probably fun. Involved. There you go. Anyway, this is Teeing It Up with Jeremy showing. Danny Flecker joins us uh, in his basically weekly spot. Although, come July, I don't think we're going to probably go from like July 1st to July 31st. And I think the amount of conversations you and I have may equal the amount of podcasts we do. Yeah, I'm gone for three weeks, so it's probably going to be uh, very few interaction there. So. I'll have to do my best to stay on top of everything that's happening to make sure that when I come back, uh, I know what I'm talking about. I'll just fill the void with Catherine running podcasts. Oh, you could do that. Yes. Oh, she's gone for two weeks, too, so, I mean, who knows? We'll figure it out. All right, well, we will consult our mutual friend, Catherine, and see if we want to replace Danny podcasts with uh, Catherine podcasts. One thing that, that the Bruins would like to replace... Uh, Tonight is nervousness with joy. Game seven, Stanley Cup Finals, Blues, um, Bruins. You can see that at 8 p.m. Eastern time on NBC. It's Doc Emmerich's 45th career game seven, um, which is up there with Marv for being the most all-time. What's the city's vibe? I mean, everybody's nervous, right? Game seven, do or die, last game of the season. you got to imagine that as a fan or as a player, uh, executive, whatever it is, you know, for either team that you're nervous. You know, you've come all this way. You fought tooth and nail for the opportunity to win, and it's all going to come down to tonight. So whether you've played a great series or not, as an individual or, or whatever it might be, you have the opportunity now to really, you know, kind of erase all that, and it's just one game. So, you know, as a fan myself, you know, I'm rooting for the Bruins. I'm pulling for the Bruins. I, I like, I've liked them for a while. I like their style. I like the way they play. I like their, you know, personalities on the team. Um, you know, I'm nervous heading into this game because this series has been a, a little back and forth in the sense that, you know, the Bruins have dominated special teams. But if they're not on special teams, the, the Blues have, have dictated the play. They're bigger, they're more physical, they're going to throw their body around, where the Bruins are more of a speed team, um, you know, looking to catch you on counters, looking to, you know, uh, hold the puck in the zone, get good shots, be fancy, etc. The Blues are more of the old school NHL teams where they're, they're big, they're physical, and they're going to take it to you. So uh, the Bruins have to make sure that, Whatever they do is that they don't let the emotion of tonight take the best of them. You know, Tim Thomas is coming back for the first time in a long time here, apparently, to, to wave the flag at the beginning. Um, there's going to be a lot of emotion in that in that uh, arena tonight. So if you're the Bruins, it's just play your game. Play the way you played when you won the games in this series, and that is, uh, you know, strong possession, you know, strong defense, getting the puck out of your zone, skating it into the zone, Cycling the puck, holding the puck, throwing the puck at the net, you know, uh, drawing penalties, getting the power play, and, and capitalizing on the power play. So if the Bruins do that tonight, I, I don't see how the Blues beat them. 
but the Blues have done an amazing job this entire postseason of bouncing back from games, you know, after they've lost. So it's going to be an interesting game, interesting chess match uh, to see what style this game takes on. And I wouldn't be surprised at all if in the first 10 minutes we have a, a really chippy uh, game going on where the refs are going to be forced to, you know, really put their stamp on the game and make the call so it doesn't get out of hand. Um. Game sevens are always funky. They're always weird. They're always uh, uh, just, you know, you see things that you don't normally see. And we'll get to Kevin Durant here in a second. Um, you know, game five kind of was a game seven for the Warriors. Um, have, have, have Boston fans on radio thrown out any wild things that they want to see different or change? Because that's always the thing you get for game seven. They should start Mariano Rivera and just run him for a while and get us off to a good start. They should do this. They should do that. You always get these wild Game 7 theories. Have, have, have any been flying around Boston? Not really. I mean, I saw that, you know, Grizzlick is going to be back for them this game. They're going to uh, be sitting probably Connor Clifton in, in order to get Grizzlick there, and he's been a big piece for them. He's a puck-moving defenseman. He can skate out of the zone. He creates offensive opportunities for them, and that's the type of player they need in this game. You know, it really solidifies, you know, what they do on the back end. As far as, like, crazy theories, I haven't heard anything. I mean, if you're the Bruins, you've done everything that you can to get to this point. You know, Tuka Rask has been the best goalie in the playoffs. Their defense, you know, when they're on, has been playing well. Their power play has been absolutely amazing in this series. So the key to this game is to, to stay within yourself, is to play your game and not to be goaded into taking silly penalties, not to give your, your team, you know, penalty killing, you know, scenarios and to play ahead. So the Bruins absolutely, you know, need to be, you know, within themselves and, if anything, try to get out to a fast start and, and get a goal and play from ahead because they've been a better team when they've done that as well. They can come back, um, but, you know, five on five, they haven't been great this series. So, the opportunity for them is there. Just play within yourself. Do what you do best and hope that your biggest names on your team, like Pasternak, Bergeron, and, and Martian, come out to play and are, are looking for gold because that's what they need tonight. Talking to Danny Flecky here on Teeing It Up. All right, Kevin Durant, first of all, would you have played him? Yes, I would have played him. It, 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 it comes down, you know, I have talked about this for the last couple of days. It comes down to, you know, one thing and one thing only. Was he cleared both you know from a mental aspect and a physical aspect to play in that game all reports indicate that he was um so whatever happened after that is left to fate he was cleared to play he had every opportunity to say no i don't want to play he had every opportunity to say yes i do want to play all everything that's come out has, has said that he practiced all last weekend was fine he looked good in warm-up he looked good in the first quarter and, you know, the unfortunate thing that happens in sports is you get injured. And you can say what you want to say, that the injury, you know, that he had, you know, could have contributed to it. You could say that, you know, he, he should have just worried about himself and his free agency and everything. I, I'm a firm believer, and I'll, I'll take this to the grave, you know, there's every there's every chance in the world that regardless of any injury he had prior or existing that he was going to have this injury regardless. Regardless, it's just the way it works sometimes. So he wanted to play. They cleared him to play. They didn't think that you know anything like this would happen. I think early in, in that broadcast, 
they said that he's, you know, going to come out when he's tired and that the only thing that could really possibly happen to him was that he would, you know, tweak it a little bit or strain it because they weren't really afraid of any other injuries coming around. And, you know, unfortunately, the, the worst possible case scenario happened. It, it just, it was so, that game was just so wild because you started out and Durant scores 11 points in 12 minutes, looks fantastic, gives them the lead that ultimately helped them win the game. He was a total, he, was, he looked like himself and then poof, in one moment, it's gone. And you, you saw what happened after the game. The GM was, was crying, Bob Myers was crying. It was such a weird thing where it was, yes, he's back. Yes, he looks good. Oh, my God, he's not. And then, oh, my, he's gone. And then, oh, my God, they actually won the damn game. Yeah, I mean, let's talk about that Bob Myers situation for a little bit. I thought that was one of the most ridiculous things I've ever seen in my entire life. Really? Uh, really? Guy going out, yeah, a guy going out there crying like, like a baby, like Durant was, was dead. You know, like, let's be serious here, you know, it, it's a sport, it's a game, it's, an, it's a situation where these things can happen at, at any point in time, and you go out there, he kind of made a fool of himself, in, in my opinion, and I, I think the general consensus is that as well, that, that he he kind of looked really foolish for doing what he did, um, you know, he like put the blame on me, I'm the GM and, and everything. You're not the doctor, you're not the player, and everybody else was saying that he was good to go. So this is a part of what happens, unfortunately. And I think it, as fans, as journalists, whoever you are, you have to accept that because there were plays in that game that were rougher that could have caused different types of injuries or worse injuries that didn't happen, but then he does a simple crossover and his Achilles blows out. It, it, it happens. It's part of the game. And these non-contact injuries, you can't really look back and second-guess guess yourself with anything because if you do, you're never going to be able to play. So, um, you know, I thought that that moment for him was like a really low point for him considering all the great work he's done. See, I, I totally disagree with you. And here's why. When you... We're not in there. We don't know how hard Kevin Durant worked. This is a very tight-knit organization from, you know, the ownership on down, from from Joe Lacob to Bob Myers to Steve Kerr all the way down and all the way through. And when you see somebody work so hard to get back and so hard to want to play because he loves basketball that much, be so effective, and then see it gutted, and ABC failed to bleep that first fuck that ended up live on air... I, I understand that it's, it's that I, I understand the tears because it's the raw emotion of the moment that just happened. But the other thing about that is that it immediately becomes, I, I think also we forget what had happened in, in the lead up. You had seen a report that the players were pissed at him. Uh, I, 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 I believe it was you who saw the report that players were pissed at him because he would have been ready for game four but wanted to wait until game five. I had seen, sorry, my dad had heard an internet conspiracy theory that he was um, way more hurt than any of us even knew and that they were just saying this to make, um, to, to make Toronto think. And um, in my mind, I think it was the, the emotion of Bob Myers saying, 
cut all, you know, cut all that crap. He tried hard. We cleared him for game five. He went out there and played. He wanted to play. This was nobody else but us. We, the organization, failed because we failed to identify that this could happen, even though I agree with you that's impossible. But I think he's just saying, if you want to blame somebody, don't blame Kevin. This is not Kevin's fault. This is our fault as an organization because I run basketball and a basketball player of mine got hurt tonight. So what could we have done to prevent that? You've seen Mark Cuban come out and wants to make an investment in joint and ligament um, studies and knowledge so that they can try to prevent these injuries going forward. So in my mind, this was him saying, if, if you Warrior fans who are so gutted and us Nick fans who are so gutted tonight want to blame somebody, just blame me. Just, just throw the blame on somebody because it's 2019. But no one's to blame here. Kevin wanted to play. Kevin wanted to do this. Nobody asked him to do this. Nobody baited him to do this. He wanted to do this because he loves to play basketball. And that's where the emotion yeah, came and, from. And I think it's unfair to, to place blame on anybody. It's a sport. It's an event. It's something that happens. These players understand that at any point in time when they're playing, something like this could happen. And it just goes for any sport. It goes for football. It goes for soccer. It goes for hockey. It goes for, for anything. You know, when you're playing, there's an opportunity every single time you, you step out onto that field or that quarter on the ice that, that you could get hurt. And in sports, it's something that you have to realize and you have to accept, and you and you can't place the blame on anybody or say if I did this, if I did that, if if we look closer, if we, we take them out a minute earlier, if we did we ran this play and everything, you know, you're just gonna kill yourself with the hypotheticals, and then you're going back and saying no, the Knicks fans are gutted. There was no guarantee he was gonna go there, and, and everything. So to, to place all this un, you know, unwanted circumstantial you know, scenarios out there on, on a situation that happened is unfair. And it's, not, it's not fair to say that you know, Golden State made the, made the mistake or that Kevin made the mistake. I think it was just one of those things where in any sport, at any time, that these injuries happen. And you could say that you know, Kevin rushed himself back and that maybe he felt some pressure, etc., you know, if I were him, I'd feel the same thing. You know, you see that these your teammates are going out there fighting for something that you want so bad as well, and you want to be able to be part of it. So, you know, let's take into mind that there's a competitive factor, an ego factor that goes into some of these decisions too. So there's no blame for anybody in my opinion. You know, he went out there, he played great for a while he can, while he could, and unfortunately there was – you know, the universe had, had a different scenario to play out, and, you know, you can't blame anybody for it, and all, all you can do at this point is wish him a, a healthy recovery and that we as fans have the opportunity to see him sooner rather than later and at the form that he was at, you know, during the playoffs and during the seasons that he's played in the past. So I, I don't blame anybody, and I, I just think that reaction was just a little overblown and uh, dramatic and You've got to understand that these things are, are going to happen in any sport. And, you know, unfortunately, given the stage and the name of the player and the scenario, which has happened, makes it a little bit, you know, larger of, an, of a story. But there's no blame to be passed around. It's an injury. You can't blame anybody. Now, shifting to where I do think there could be blame, and that's Nick Nurse, who decided after Kawhi Leonard goes off in one of the greatest single person runs to a title potentially ever calls a timeout after they get up six 
after he's on a 12-0 run and you've got the Warriors reeling and Draymond Green admitted after the game, ah, thank you very much. That allowed us to regroup. I appreciate it. And I'll talk to you later. Um, So (laughs) for me, that can't be good. Um, Sorry about that. It's okay. For me, that was incredulous because coming out of that, Clay, Steph, Clay, boom, boom, boom. Warriors win. It was just a mind-boggling call on his part to call the timeout and then what greatness does. And Clay and Steph and Clay hitting the big shots and the big moment and Andre Iguodala getting that um, closeout double on, sorry, the step-up double team on Kawhi Leonard, which forced the pass to Lowry for the final three, which Draymond ultimately blocked. It was just a thing of beauty for the Warriors, but that Nick Nurse timeout may come back to haunt him. Yeah, and I, I think that, again, like he was reading his team, he was reading the flow of the game. Um, and I think what was worse was, was what his explanation was, and that was that his team was tired and he was trying to get them regrouped. I mean, that right there is a kiss of death, you know? If you're... You think about all the energy that it took them to get back into that game, if anything... They should have been amped that they finally were in the lead. They should have been amped they had the opportunity to close out this series and they were at home. You know, if anything, they should have been able to dig deep and, and close it out. And I think you're right. Like, you gave them, they gave the Warriors an opportunity, even though, again, the odds of them coming back were probably slim. But, you know, with a team like Golden State that can just shoot the lights out, and they were shooting the lights out on, on uh, Monday. You can't give him the opportunity to get those possessions back, and, and he did that, and unfortunately for him, he's got to hope that his team could find the resolve to come back in Game 6 and either close it out there, or you're, you're looking at Game 7 on Sunday where, you know, at that point all bets are off, and, and I don't know if Toronto can really uh, find an excuse to say why they didn't win this championship. But, you know, funny things happen, and this Toronto team has... Uh, proving me wrong on several occasions. I, I personally don't think that they're that good of a team. But, you know, every game that every game since they were down 0-2 against Milwaukee, they've been the best team on the floor. So maybe they have the, the result to, to come back in game six and close out in Oakland. I just think it's a really tough task despite the injuries that, that Golden State has faced. And um, they found something that worked in that game. Even though Kevin Durant did help them, like you mentioned, you know, for most of that game, they were able to figure Kawhi out defensively. They were able to, um, you know, make their threes. They were able to space the floor a little bit. So I think Golden State might have a few more wrinkles up their sleeve. But, yeah, inexcusable to call a timeout when you're up by six at home um, with the, the team rolling the way they were. We are uh, talking to Danny Flecker here on Teeing It Up. Um, you know... What's interesting, uh, I totally forgot what I was going to ask you, which is a bummer. I had a great thought, and that thought went away. So I'll come back to that thought um, when I think about that thought. Um, (laughs) It's funny how that happens, isn't it? You know, you have a great thought, and then you go, oh, oh, I I was going to say... Do you think that the Warriors are, are, are too shorthanded and Toronto's just going to win this game six? 
It, it all depends on game flow, honestly, to me. I think that this game, you know, when, when Toronto seems to have been up uh, in this series and taken, you know, the game by by the throws, when they've been able to have Gasol in the game, um, you know, the Warriors' center rotation has been some, you know, non-existent in this series. You know, Steve Kerr's been kind of mixing and matching. They went really small on uh, on Monday. But Gasol, when he's been out there, has been really productive when he's had a good game. So I think a lot of it comes down to, you know, game flow for them. So if Gasol and Lowry can stay out of foul trouble, then yes, I do think that Toronto has the opportunity to exploit the weaknesses of Golden State at this time. But if if Gasol's on the bench and you have to go small if you're Toronto, then you're playing right into the Warriors' hands. And then if Lowry, who, by the way, after watching him the last three weeks or so, might commit the dumbest fouls I've ever seen a point guard commit in the NBA. If you lose your primary ball handler and creator and have to go with Van Bleed and have to go with Powell off the bench, Danny Green as that person, then yeah, I think that that plays right into what Golden State wants, and that is a smaller, slower lineup out on the court, and then defensively they can focus in on, on defending Kawhi Leonard and, and Siakam and then make, it think, make you know those guys hit shots from outside. So... It's all game flow dependent, and, and Toronto has the advantage by keeping Gasol in the game, and if he goes out early on foul trouble, then I think it swings right back to Golden State having the advantage. Um, here's my take on this. Um, I think Game 6 is won by the Warriors just because of sheer willpower and that arena and that aura of them wanting to get the victory for KD. I think Toronto wins on Sunday in Game 7. That is a scenario that the USGA and Fox do not want because the U.S. Opens in primetime. Sunday NBA final tips are an 8 p.m. tip for ABC. That would go right up against the conclusion of the U.S. Open. So that's not a scenario they want at all. Um, so they are... It big- happens. I mean, it is what it is, right? You know, you got to... It's the risk of going primetime. It is the risk of going primetime for the U.S. Open on the West Coast is that you run into these potential conflicts. So nothing they can do about it, and they can just hope to uh, to just just have have the best uh, week they can. I hope the Raptors win, and maybe just you know hope that people have two screens and and, and can go side by side. All right. Did you see the pass interference stuff today? The NFL pass interference I, stuff? I did not, no. Okay, so per Judy Batista of NFL Network, the competition committee is working on additional language, but the expectation is reviews for pass interference in the last two minutes will be initiated by the replay person, not coaches. That was what was initially agreed to in March. And then in at the May meeting, they gave this option, the blank check, um, for them to enable coaches to do it at some point down the line if they wanted to. The concern for the league is too many stoppages late in the game, but the coaches made it clear in March that they preferred not having the responsibility for challenging in the last two minutes. Um, and uh, basically, we're going to have preseason guinea pigs with lots of maybe reviews for pass interference. So where were you on, on reviewing pass interference? Remember, this is called or no called pass interference. And then in the last two minutes or overtime, replay official versus um, coach. Yeah, so I, I think when we spoke about this when it happened, uh, I 
I'm against it for a number of different reasons, and, and a lot of that has to do with what, what you just mentioned. I think a pass interference call in the NFL, at least on the surface, is probably the easiest penalty to call. You know, it's one that is usually happening in, happening in the open. You don't have to, like, look through 11 players to see what if a holding's happening. Um, you know, maybe besides off the you know, false start, you know, off uh, pass interference might be the, one of the easiest types of, of penalties to call in the NFL. Now, going back to what started this all, you have to remember that that, that play was the most egregious play that had ever happened in the NFL, as far as I can remember. You then, as a committee or as a league, have to look and say, okay, well, we can't have this happen again. Now, was it missed because there was no challenge, or was it missed because these refs that were refing the game were just too incompetent to call it? And, you know, which way is it? So I think it's a little bit of of both, but I think the pendulum is more on that these refs at times they have muddied the waters with, with the penalties and the language and uh, the number of rules that now it's like, okay, well, is it this? Is it that? Is it holding? Is it a hit to the head? Is it whatever? So I, I hope that it doesn't become something that every single two minutes, you know, two minute warning ends up being 25 minutes of actual time and games are decided on, on ticky tack calls. Because I think that's what's going to happen. You're going to have a lot of penalties. Um, that are not going to be called, that you're going to hear on Monday morning, oh, well, this should have been called, and, you know, this team should have had an opportunity to win the game. I think it just puts way too much, uh, quite, you know, way too much responsibility and question onto the officials to make sure that they're really scrutinizing every call. And don't forget that when these plays are happening in real time, it could be difficult to see, so that's maybe why we see some missed penalties, and this person in the booth is going to have the opportunity to, uh, you know, look at multiple replays, look at things slow down, really nitpick and say this and that. And you could say that coaches aren't going to challenge it, but maybe after a call, um, uh, after a no call or whatever, maybe a team takes a delay of game penalty or maybe a team calls a timeout or maybe a team is slower to the, to the ball. So you're not going to be able to, uh, you know, really allow those refs to quickly make a decision, they're going to then have that opportunity to then go to the monitors and look at those plays over again. So while the coaches might not be, quote-unquote, challenging the position, they might be challenging the replay refs to make the calls that they're missing on the field. I um, am just worried about Hail Marys. Um, look at the Gronk play from a couple of years ago. Um, I just, I just have a nagging feeling that we're in for some kind of disaster on some kind of um just some kind of Hail Mary fiasco and some team getting the ball on an untimed down first and goal at the one you know good luck and that's not how any game should end um now if you molest and push over and this you know, basically with brute force, just get out of the way, somebody. That is clearly pass interference on a Hail Mary. But what's the whole tactic behind Hail Mary's defense? Don't let them get behind you. Front them. And that is the definition of what you have to... It, 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 it would... 
classifies itself as pass interference, and the question becomes, can the NFL write a rule strict enough and good enough that would exempt Hail Marys, which is what they claim they're going to do, but when, what's the definition of a Hail Mary? What's the timing? When's a Hail Mary not a Hail Mary? But when, when is it a Hail Mary? You know, all this stuff, you know, setting picks, which is offensive pass interference on hook and ladder type end of game plays. There's a, so much gray area, and I just worry about Hail Marys. Yeah, I just think from a fan perspective, the game has been stripped down enough as it is with the penalties and, and the rules that they've enforced. This just gives us more of an opportunity to gripe and to be frustrated and to question what's happening every single Sunday when these games are being played. Again, that Saints-Rams game was so egregious, so obvious that it's like, what were you watching that you didn't call that? And, And there has to be a way to remedy that, in my opinion. You have to have a way, which is why I'm in favor of this rule, um, just in general, because you have to find a way to remedy these just horrendous calls. I just don't know how you remedy Hail Marys or weird, funky plays where it does become ticky-tack and it does become slow motion and it does become he pushed it before the ball was you know on its way. He, he, he prevented the guy by playing basketball defense. That's where I'm worried. Yeah, and again, I think it goes back to the majority of what you're seeing. How often are you realistically seeing these types of plays? In an NFL season, 256 games, whatever it is they play, all the plays that are run, tens of thousands of plays, what percentage is actually going to be a Hail Mary or a flea flicker or whatever it is? And my guess is it's probably less than like 2%. So... Uh, you know, from that scenario, you have to either take the good or the bad. You either have to take the good that you're going to maybe be able to prevent some of this stuff from happening or the bad that you just got to let it be. So I think that's where you have to look at these types of scenarios is out of all the plays that are happening that you just mentioned, how much, how many plays of those are actually happening throughout the course of a season? And, again, I don't think it's many. But, again, I think the stage, the situation, the circumstance creates that 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 narrative or that dialogue is like okay well we can't have this ever happen again well if that happened week one of the nfl season in quarter one i don't know if it's necessarily something that we'd be talking about you know what i'm saying like so it's, it's tough if you're the nfl you've already watered down that game so much with the ticky tackiness and uh and the rules and the officials and the replays and everything else I think just adding another layer just creates more of that opportunity for your te- for your league and for the teams and for your officials to be scrutinized at a level that maybe they don't need to be. And in this day and age, everybody with a computer has the opportunity to say something. So I think it's just going to create an, a situation where we, we talk on Mondays about the games and it's like, oh, well, did you see that play? I should have been past interference. They had the opportunity to review it. And it's just going to really make the game, I think, much worse. Um, we shall see how it plays out as the season goes on, and if it's called consistently from game one to game two fifty six, and then in, and then in, in, into the playoffs. Um, is there anything else you want to talk about in this podcast, Danny Flecker? Uh, I think we we talked about a lot today. I think I'm good. We we did cover a lot. So for Danny Flecker, I am Jeremy Schilling. Thank you, Danny, for coming on. Oh, no problem. And uh, we will see you next time.